Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Martin Collicutt joins me, former Canadian ambassador to Syria and Lebanon. Mr. Ambassador, hello. Hello, Roy. Richard Curland was my representative in that contract negotiation. That invoice is unpaid, uh, by the way. <laughs> and so it shall be. <laughs> Until you get them to sign it, <laughs> you ain't getting a dime. My good friend Richard Curland, immigration lawyer in Vancouver, has advised the federal and provincial governments on immigration matters. All right. We, we worked together as a little trio here um, a few weeks ago, and we took phone calls, and we were talking, we were speculating about what the changes would be that the immigration minister or citizenship minister would announce to C-24, the Citizenship Act. Now we know that maybe we speculated, and we were pretty close. The uh, the minister has announced that no longer will dual citizens convicted of a terrorist act against Canada and Canadians or fighting for another country or entity against Canada face losing their Canadian citizenship. Mr. McCallum also said family class immigration is going to be made easier. The citizenship guide will have less Canadian history to study. And being eligible for Canadian citizenship will require less living time in Canada. And uh, that is currently required. And proficiency in English and or French will only be expected of those 18 to 54, no longer uh, 14 to 64. Why don't we just throw the damn thing out? I'm sorry, I find this really, I find it disturbing. You know what I find disturbing? Richard Martin, I found disturbing when I saw Mr. McCallum said too much about the War of 1812. With everything else that's going on and other things we'll talk about, when I heard that he, when I read that that was his quote, too much of the War of 1812, I just slammed the book. Shut. Martin. What do you think? Well, uh... You know, I hope we can discuss all of these issues because they're all important, but that one is kind of interesting. He not only wants to take out uh, historical references, he wants to remove things like references to barbaric cultural practices that might offend some newcomers. And, uh, you know, this includes honor killings, killing your daughter because she won't wear, uh, wear, wear a headscarf. And we've had people come here, like Mohammed Shafia and his family, who... Uh, who uh, they murdered all their daughters, and um, had we warned them that that kind of thing does not go in Canada, they probably wouldn't have come here. Uh, the daughters wouldn't all be dead, and the family, the uh, husband, wife, and son, wouldn't be serving life in prison in Canada. So, um, you know, I can see some rejigging of the citizenship guide, but... Um, I know, I know, Martin, Martin I was going to talk about that, that other aspect, you know, when they talked about barbaric practices, you brought that up, but Richard, I, I, find it, I find it disturbing, I find the rejigging, as Martin says, of the Citizenship Act, and too much uh, emphasis on the War of 1812, I find it really disturbing because we only have, I think, five provinces in this country that make Canadian history a mandatory subject in high school to begin with, so we constantly devalue our history. Yes, but the new government uh, maintained the war on the wallet. What people are going to notice is that the former government introduced for the first time in Canadian citizenship history the requirement to file four Canadian income tax returns as a tax resident in this country. Under the new law proposed, three Canadian income tax returns. So this passed the acid test. And uh, I'm not exactly displeased with that. I'm not, so sure now, what you're, I'm not sure what you're telling me. 
Well, it means now before you could be an, uh, a resident for immigration and citizenship purposes, you right. get your citizenship, but you don't pay a dime in tax because you're not a resident in Canada for tax purposes. That was ridiculous. So now, unless you're going to declare in writing to the government of Canada your global property, your global income accurately, you're not going to access our citizenship. And that opens the door to audits and exchange of information between this country and your home country. That is incredibly dissuasive for those who would abuse Canada's taxation. Okay, I want to talk about abusing Canada and our system, but let's let's start with the the issue that uh, has been talked about most. It's been the f- sort of the feature piece and the changes to cease twenty four, and that is, and the government chose to make it so. So, who are we to argue with them? Uh, that if you are convicted of an an act of terror against Canada and Canadians, and you're a dual citizen, that you're not going, or or you fight for another country or another entity against Canada and Canadians, you now no longer face the possibility or the likelihood of losing your Canadian citizenship. But if you apply fraudulently for Canadian citizenship, you'll lose it. So an act of terror against Canada and Canadians, not nearly as serious in the government's view as applying for citizenship fraudulently, Richard. Yeah, in that one, uh, you commit fraud to obtain access to citizenship, you're out. You commit terrorism, murder, you're a pedophile, you go to jail, whether you're Canadian or not a Canadian. The sanction is quality jail time. Uh, It's not the uh, medieval law of banishment. We don't want to start importing laws from hundreds of years ago. We want to punish, and, and that's achieved in the current legislation. Well, well, you I, and I will you and I will disagree on the on the um, on the on the value of this particular aspect of the changes to C twenty four. Martin, what do you say to the no removal of citizenship if you commit an act of terror against Canadians and you're a dual citizen and they would not do it to somebody who only has one citizenship because the conservatives pointed out they weren't going to make anybody stateless. Well, the the uh, when they announced the uh, liberal government announced that it was going to change this, they said we can't have two tiers of citizenship. One who have a second nationality, we can revoke their citizenship, and the other who can't have it revoked. And the the main explanation they gave for it was John McCallum on CBC said a uh, Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. Um, he repeated it so many times, I wasn't sure I was watching a news broadcast. sounded like or, Marco Rubio. Well, I thought I'd, uh, uh, my uh, TV had changed channels to some <laughs> kindergarten program. Anyway, uh, the, the fact that they can lose it for lying on their application somehow is now depicted as more serious than, um, than uh, committing terrorism. And that's the and point I, I was think, trying to make. Uh, I think uh, there's every reason why we should. Uh, One newspaper described it last week as a situation in an editorial last week. The government's decision to change the law defies both logic and reason as well as devalues Canadian citizenship by not letting us get rid of people who have committed terrorist acts. Sure, they can be put in jail, but why should we keep them on as Canadians? We are one of the most generous countries in the world when it comes to granting citizenship. 
And uh, but I think it's reasonable we can tell people they can lose it if they've committed terrorism or treason. It just and sounds oh. it just sounds like a no-brainer. Let me take a break and then we'll come back. And there's other aspects of the changes that we want to get at. And I know one Martin that you've wanted to speak to, and Richard you as well, and that is um, family class Im- immigration changes. But there's also changes to how much. Um, who has to be conversant in English and or French? That's changed. And the amount of time that a permanent resident must live inside Canada in order to qualify for citizenship is changing. And the immigration minister, Mr. McCallum, please come back on this show. He's coming all the time when he was the chief economist for the then Royal Bank of Canada. Can't get him on now. Come back on the show and tell me, please, what you're going to do with the Citizenship Guide and Canadian history. What does that mean, too much of the War of 1812? Please expand. Please expand. Not a, don't talk to me in Twitterese for this. What are you doing with Canadian history and the, and the Citizenship Guide? Just, just, a, just a couple of extra words so, so it actually becomes a sentence. We'll come back in a minute. We're talking about changes to Bill C-24, the Citizenship Act announced by the Immigration Minister John McCallum. And joining me are former Canadian ambassador to Syria and Lebanon, Martin Collicutt, and one of this country's preeminent immigration lawyers, Richard Curlin from Vancouver. As we say, he advises governments, including our federal government and the Quebec government, on issues of immigration. Martin, I figured out why McCallum kept saying a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. Oh, good. What was it? He's getting old. He couldn't remember the rest of the sentence. In fairness, that brings us back to Bill 22 days. Remember Bill Springate, rights and, and Lincoln, rights are rights are rights. This is an upgrade. And I'm entitled to my entitlement. <laughs> I can, we, we can do this all day long, Richard. Have we? Let, <laughs> let's, let's look at a couple of component parts that Mr. McCallum has decided need addressing and changing. I would imagine under the, uh, under the, uh, the guidance of our, chief, our, skate, our, our, our snowboarder-in-chief, um, the uh, the idea, and John, uh, M- M- Martin, you'll never talk to me again if we don't get to the issue of, of family class immigration to this country. You, it's important. It's significant to people who are here. It's important to the country. It's, it, is a, it is a significant issue, and we haven't spoken to it over the last several times we've been together. So what is Mr. McCallum saying is going to change as far as family class immigration is concerned? And Martin, what are your concerns, if you have any? Yes, I do. Uh, what he wants to do is double the number of people who can uh, apply to bring in their parents and grandparents from what it is at present. And the problem with this is that uh, sponsored parents and grandparents cost the Canadian public an arm and a leg, tens of billions of dollars. Just the ones that came in from 2012-2014 are estimated to cost $21 billion dollars. Uh, during their lifetime here, because uh, hardly any of them work or pay taxes, but they get all the benefits. So the Conservatives didn't cut the program off, but it reduced it. The Liberals now want to expand it, and I can't see any other reason but to get votes. It'll cost taxpayers a fortune, but it'll get some more votes from those who can bring in their parents and grandparents. So it doesn't, to me, make any Well, what about, what about the argument that people just want to have their family members around them? They're here. They're, they're aged family members, maybe uh, somewhere else in the world. They want them to be close, and they want to take care of them. Plus, the aged family member can take care of their kids, maybe for daycare types of activities. Okay, there's a couple of points. One is that you can bring your parents, grandparents over here on the super visa. They can get a visa that 
lets them in for up to 10 years. You've got to provide their medical coverage. That's been quite popular, and it's worked quite well. I think it's decreased the demand. As far as bringing them over to take care of the kids, uh, yes, it does help parents to... uh, the parents of uh, working age parents to have a babysitter, but if it, it co- I estimated it cost around a th- uh, third of a million dollars in taxes to Canadians for every single parent and grandparent. If you want to give other Canadians a third of a million dollars to uh, for, to provide care for their kids, that's fine. But why should uh, sponsors of parents and grandparents get such a huge amount of public support and nobody else does? So, um, yeah, let let some come in, but keep keep the lid on it and let them pay their share instead of having the taxpayer pay it all. All right, let's turn this over to Mr. Carlin. Okay, first, there is no such thing as a 10-year visa for parents and grandparents. The super visa is a two-year period of time that can be used over a 10-year period. There's no 10-year entry to Canada. I like the idea of protecting the taxpayer, the the Treasury Board funds. The hard choice here boils down to this. Should we let in parents and grandparents who have families here in Canada who can afford to pay the bill? That's the hard choice. Uh, The parent-grandparents are not taking jobs away from Canadians. They are a cost to our health care system. So the tough choice is if if families are willing to pay that premium as kind of a group insurance policy to cover all, if not more, the medical expenses, current and anticipated, why not let... Uh, the same number, 20,000 or so, parents, grandparents, be allowed in on that basis. It doesn't one, one of the, for one those of the, who can't afford it, though. Richard, one of the issues is the availability of health care. We have about 4 million Canadians, at least that was the last statistic I saw, that have no family doctor. And we know that wait times for for healthcare in this country can be inordinately long. In, the, in 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 Quebec, for example, if you want to get an MRI and you're not willing to pay for one privately, it takes a year, year and a half to get it. It's especially hard in British Columbia, where we have here the highest proportion of older uh, people in Canada. So I think that goes to the amount, the price of entry. Uh, in, a, in, in about 30 seconds, because we have to take a break, and then we'll, we're going to start talking to our callers as well. Um, what do you make of requiring less time to be in Canada as a permanent resident in order to qualify for citizenship? And then the changes to the ages where you have to have some, where you have to have a knowledge of English and or French. I'd certainly like to talk to both of those. Uh, let's start with the English. And we have to do it quickly. Okay, we're, lo- we're going to make it easy. You don't need as much English or French. First of all, that makes it more difficult to integrate. But secondly, uh, lack of English or French has been found to be one of the major reasons why immigrants are learning, are earning a lot less than they used to, earlier immigrants or Canadians. 
And the latest estimate on what it's costing Canadian taxpayer because of these low earnings and then they pay lower taxes, but they get the same benefit, is it costs Canadian taxpayers between 27 and $35 billion, not million, but billion right. dollars Martin, a year. Please, please hold on because I have to take a break. We'll come back. My phone number is 888-225-TALK, 888-225-8255-416-870-6400 in Toronto. You can say, take on any part of this that you wish, but what I want to hear from you is, what do you make of the fact that the federal government is changing the law so that if you commit an act of terrorism against Canada and you're a dual citizen, your citizenship cannot be taken away from you? You're a dual citizen, you plot, you plan, you commit an act of terror against Canada and Canadians, and you can't take away the Canadian citizenship anymore because McCallum says a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. Triple A two two five eight two five five. So significant changes coming to C twenty four, the Citizenship Act. Uh, no longer will you be losing your Canadian citizenship if you're a dual citizen and you commit an act of terrorism against Canada or you fight for another country or another entity against Canada. Because a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian, quoting John McCallum, our citizenship and immigration minister. And the prime minister, by the way, said that as well. So I wonder if they rehearsed that. Um, also, the uh, knowledge of English and or French is not as, I guess, not as important because the understanding of an ability to communicate in English or French is uh, for those between 18 and 54 now. And the amount of time that a permanent resident has to live inside Canada in order to qualify for citizenship has also changed or will be changing. And we'll get to your calls at 888-225-8255 in just a moment. Hang on to the line there. But um, I just want to run the, the, idea, the, the, the notion of the languages and the amount of time that you have to qualify for to be a Canadian citizen, live inside Canada and be eligible for citizenship past my guests. Martin Collicott, former Canadian ambassador to Syria and Lebanon and other parts of the globe. And uh, Richard Curland, as I keep telling you, one of the preeminent immigration lawyers in this country and represents me in salary negotiations as well. That's why I'm doing so poorly. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Do we ever lie? Um, Richard, just before I ask you about the, the language issue and the amount of time that you have to be in Canada as a permanent resident before you qualify for citizenship, Martin, you talk to us about language. Please, please uh, quali attack that, or not attack. That's what you do. Attack the uh, the idea of how many years that you have to be in Canada, living in this country, as a permanent resident before you can apply for citizenship. Well, we already have one of the shortest uh, periods for uh, major immigrant receiving countries. Uh, four years. Australia is also four years, but it's five years in the USA, the United Kingdom, New Zealand, and Ireland, seven in Norway, eight in Germany. And um, this gives you a chance to determine whether the person is really uh, going to be a good Canadian citizen. Um, and it gives them a chance to find out more about Canada. So what the government wants to do is reduce it to uh, what will be, I think, the shortest time in the world, uh, to get citizenship, and I think this will cheapen and degrade the value of Canadian citizenship. Uh, it'll speed up the the right to vote of newcomers who are likely to vote Liberals, but I think uh, it's not a service to Canada. Uh, I don't see why we should shorten it uh, the way that is being proposed. Can I just add one quick comment on the... Uh, the business of uh, revoking citizenship. There was a poll done in 2012 in Canada that showed 
eight out of ten people, out of ten Canadians, thought that people should lose their citizenship if they're convicted of treason or terrorism. Three out of four thought they should lose it because of committing serious crimes. And the UK, which is also very strong on human rights, uh, civic rights, um, you can remove people there for uh, who were born in the uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, and it's been used uh, 37 times since uh, 2012 when they passed 2014. They passed very strong legislation, okay. much stronger than what anything we're proposing here. Okay, be careful talking about polls because Kathleen Wynne <laughs> will accuse you of being a racist. I know that. <laughs> What else can she do? Not much, um, because we're going to be approaching that issue in a, on an upcoming program, and I have some specifics that I want to mention about the Premier, and we'd just be thrilled if she'd come on the show and, and, uh, and explain herself. Richard, what about the, uh, the, the, the language aspect of things? Uh, it's, what is it now, 18 to 54? Yeah. have to have a, a knowledge of English and or French, and the residency time for citizenship eligibility has been shortened. Yeah, I, the overall context, if you want the 30,000-foot view, is that under the former government, the idea was to make citizenship much more difficult to get and much easier to take away. And now we've turned that wave. Uh, now, with the proposed law, citizenship will be much easier to obtain and much more difficult to take away. Language the essentially the rules go back to where they were uh, before June 2015. So it's not a significant change. In terms of the time to access citizenship, it's five years. The Conservatives had six. We've pushed it down to five. And Canada uh, is certainly not one of the shortest durations. I can think of 20 countries in Europe and in the Caribbean, where you can attain citizenship in six months to eight months. Not where so, many people want to go, unless for fraudulent purposes. Oh, I'm not sure. I think you're going to get some email from uh, ambassadors uh, shortly on that one. Um, but the overall direction is not bad. It's not bad. I do have issues, and I agree with the two of you, regarding the requirement for language, the necessity of it for integration purposes, but where's the evidence? Where's the evidence that shows that if you have to hike language from 54 to 64? Uh, I, that, to me, doesn't make sense. If a 55 uh, or a 56-year-old person comes to Canada, they're still in, 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 in working age, and if you have no familiarity hmm. with the operating languages in Canada... And there's no need for you, uh, as expressed by immigration and citizenship, or citizenship and immigration. No one is served, Richard. And no that's one, where I'm headed. I don't need evidence that's that as clear as the nose on my face. Under the new rules, if you're older, if you do not have top-level English and French language testing results, you're not even going to get that immigrant visa. So who are we talking about? It's the spouses or the parents and grandparents, and that group represents a small minority. No, no, I'm hearing Richard Curlin now. I'm not hearing John McCallum's voice. I'm hearing Richard's voice. Mm. Well, the liberals seem to think there are a lot of people here between 55 and 65 who don't speak much English. Hey, guys, I have to take a couple of calls here. People have been waiting. 
Triple eight two two five eight two five five. If you're in the Toronto area, four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. You can also use that number anywhere in Canada. It might cost you something. It may not. It all depends on how generous your phone company is, and we know how generous they are. I see it on my phone bill every month. We're taking such great care of you, Roy. Please be sure to call us with any of your questions. We'll only keep you on hold for six and a half hours. Mike in Edmonton. Hi, how are you doing today? Good, good sir. How are you doing? Ah, uh, not too bad. Um, I would just like to say that I think that most Canadians, when when it boils down to is being a Canadian is something that we're proud of, and granting citizenship to other people coming to this country, it, it's, uh, it's a privilege that we give those people. It's not somebody's right as soon as they land on Canadian soil, and I think... Um, I think that that needs to always that needs to always be taken into account because, like you said, we don't want to cheapen the Canadian passport. We don't want to make it so that everyone looks at it as if we're a joke. And and I think we need to keep that very very strong. Now, just speaking on another point, um, in the past I've also applied and I am a dual citizen with Australia, and they're they're very very similar to us in so many ways waiting periods and everything. But the one thing that they do is they make it so that the language, uh, the English language must be proficient. It doesn't have to be excellent. It doesn't have to be university level. It needs to be working and proficient. And the reason for that is you cannot, you cannot assimilate into a society. You cannot function at a job. You cannot do any of those things if you cannot speak the language of the land. You know, Mike, you know, Mike, one of the things is assimilate to the progressives of the world is a dirty word. Assimilate is a dirty word. It's like it's like I get emails accusing me of being uh, unkind if I use the word foreigner. If I use the word foreigner, I get emails telling me that I'm unkind and I don't understand. And I have the citizenship and immigration minister in the, Harp, in the Harper government, Jason Kenney, on the air. And I said to him, minister, would you please explain to me what am I doing wrong? What am I saying incorrectly? Because I went to the dictionary and I looked up foreigner, and it and it and it works. If you're not a citizen of Canada, you're a foreigner. And the immigration yeah. minister agreed with me. So don't please don't use the word assimilation, Mike. It's not. It's not. It's not approved, in the new lexicon of political correctness. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. Phone lines are getting busy, and uh, it's because my good friends. Martin Collicott, former Canadian ambassador, and uh, Richard Kurland, immigration lawyer. I just, I'm just almost going to elevate you to minister there. Oh, my, my. <laughs> well, you said we earlier when you were talking about legislative changes. You kept saying we, Richard, so I thought, it's the what's tape going work. on? But we'll <laughs> Will you take that job, Richard? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's an interesting thought. Um, I think you'd be good at it. There may be... I'll keep the doors to our federal level of government open. Okay. So he's asking for a Senate job, Mr. Trudeau. (laughs) (laughs) We'll come right back with your calls and with Martin Collicutt and Richard Curland on The Green Show. RoyAtRoyGreenShow.com is the email address. Here's part of an email from Angela. Dual citizens who commit crimes no matter what need to be stripped of their citizenship, period. It's absurd to think that someone who give sweet tweet about our country and would commit crimes against its citizens would be allowed to stay. Again, the left have absolutely no common sense. Roy at RoyGreenShow.com is the email address. Daniels in Athabasca has been holding on for a while to 
get his points across, and we have about five minutes. Uh, Daniel, thanks for your patience, sir. No problem. Well, basically, I agree with some changes the Liberals made, like the one about not stripping dual citizens, even with acts of terrorism. I do agree with that, and I'll explain why in a minute. Others I don't agree with, like uh, decreasing the language requirements and changing the history and part of the citizenship. I don't agree with that. The reason I'm uh, for the change on the terrorism thing, I look at it this way. Like, you wouldn't take your garbage and throw it on your best friend or your neighbor's property, and that's in essence what we're doing, at least in some cases, because you look at a person who has dual citizenship only because mother or father did, never been in the country we're sending them to, and all of a sudden he commits acts of terrorism, we imprison them and then send them. Like, if that's an ally of ours, like America or England, they would raise a stake. The public and the politicians would raise a stake, as would we if, say, France's new proposal goes through, or England's, and the same thing happens. Like, they, someone commits acts of terrorism, serves their time, then they want to send them to us, even though this person only has citizenship because mommy or daddy was a citizen, and we do have self-radicalized domestic terrorists. All the terrorists aren't from the Middle East. There are some that come from Western countries that lose their way, self-radicalize, and go on acts of terrorism, and they are bluntly, like, Toronto 18 is our burden. Like, real adults honor their responsibilities, real nations honor their responsibilities, and these people, the other two that commit terrorism had they lived, are our burden, our responsibility, no one else's. That's what I look at it. It is a legitimate point to consider, it really is a legitimate point to consider. Now, I know, Richard, you're going to side with uh, with what Daniel's concerns are. Martin, what about this? If you have someone, and this was the case, I think, with the with the, with the member of the Toronto 18, he'd never lived in, in Pakistan. I believe that's where his parents were from. But he had dual citizenship, and so they stripped the Canadian citizenship from him, and he's obliged until the government changes the rules and maybe changes it for him. He's obliged to return to Pakistan at the end of his prison sentence. They've never been there. And now the government of Pakistan may say, we don't want him. Well, there may be a problem in getting a country to accept them back. But if we can get rid of a, a terrorist, someone who's committed a terrorist act and continues to be a terrorist threat in Canada, I think we should do it. We've been doing it on large numbers of people who've committed criminal acts in Canada, uh, serious criminal acts, and haven't bothered or their parents didn't bother to get them permanent residence status. And um, we have no hesitation about shipping them back to where they came from because we don't want career criminals in Canada. And I don't see the problem of sending back people to where they came from, if we can get them there, who have committed terrorist acts. All right. Now, that's but Daniel's point is they've never been there. Daniel, 30 seconds. Go ahead, please. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, here's the thing. I think you misunderstood. If they're born here... Like I said, you're, when you're born in Canada, you're a citizen. If, you're, if your parents bring you as a baby, you're, uh, you have to go through a process. But if you're born in Canada, you pretty much are a citizen. And that's different than you become over as a young infant, amid different of timing. But still, like I said, you don't take your garbage and throw it on your neighbor's property. You handle your own burdens. And I, I, I understand, I, and I've got to run. I thank you for the call. I understand what you're saying. I still disagree with you, but it's a, it's hmm. a, it's a valid point to to at least discuss. Philip in Toronto. Yeah, Roy, um, I was under the impression that when you become a Canadian citizen, you have to swear an oath. And part of that oath is to swear that you uphold the laws of Canada. Yes. Now, if you want to be a terrorist and start doing all kinds of crazy things to break that law, are, are you not in violation of the oath that you just took to become a citizen? Mr. Curlin, you're the lawyer. Well, history has a solution for this. After all, the oath to Her Majesty, the Queen, or the King at the time, when violated, 
or when there was serious criminality. Yeah, off to the Tower of London. Days, in England, we, or the British, exported criminals to populate Australia. Well, that's a Some, bit somebody a just hung up. Are you still there, Philip? Thank you. Are you still there, eh, Philip? Yes, we I just am. lost somebody. Oh no, I'm there. Okay, Richard, you still there? We lost Richard. Okay, and so somebody's friend. Richard, you're gone, huh? So my call, uh, there's no point. There's no point calling Richard back because we've only got a few seconds. Philip, thank you very much for the call. It's an excellent point. Well, you're welcome. Thank it you. It is. You, know, you swear the oath of uh, citizenship, and you're supposed to then follow the law. Martin, you still there? Yeah, we're not shipping people off to Australia anymore. I mean, that's a bit of a historical uh, you know, uh, anarchism. Uh, what we are doing is saying um, we'll send you back to where you came from, but where you already have citizenship. But if you, but if, but if you're not from there, that was uh, Mike's Michael's point. You you never you never lived there. You have the citizenship because of your parents. Well, it would have been smart not to uh, if. If if you don't, uh, are deportable, it would have been smart not to have committed all these crimes in Canada. We can't get rid of all the bad people in Canada. There are quite a few of them, but those yeah. we can get rid of, we should. Why all do right. we want to put up with them? Ambassador, I thank you for the time, sir. We're out of time. Thank you, Roy. As always, we run out of time, but I always appreciate the time. Thank you, Martin. And Richard Curland, wherever you've gone. He probably worried I was going to talk to him again about contract negotiations. I'm just, just, I was just joking, Richard. I was, I wasn't serious. I really wasn't serious. Thank you, Mr. Curlin. Thank you, Ambassador Collicutt. We'll come back and tell you about the very interesting next hour that's coming up.